This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to The Wild Initiative Podcast Network. Learn more and check out all the shows at thewildinitiative.com. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, where we talk all things fishing, conservation, and the outdoors. Today on the show, I'm talking to one of my best friends, Melanie Moss. All right, welcome to episode number 13 of the Fish Untamed Podcast. I'm going to keep this section short and sweet today. This is part two of my two-part talk with Melanie Moss about fly fishing in New Zealand. If you have not yet listened to part one, I would highly recommend going back and starting with that because you will be completely lost when we start part two. So I'm going to cut it off there and jump right back into my conversation with Melanie Moss. Okay, so tell me about the backcountry hut. Um, So backcountry huts are really popular in New Zealand. Did you ever go and stay in one? Uh Uh-uh, nope. Okay. So that's one of the big things there is because they have a lot of, um, they call them tracks, not like hiking trails. Um, and they have, and they call them the, the New Zealand great walks. Um, or they basically there there's tracks that go on for, you could, you could easily do, let's say a five day trip on a track from starting point A to starting point B, and then they'll have backcountry huts in there. So it's, it's a big thing in, New Zealand and you just have to get tickets for them um at a Department of Conservation office or like a visitor center or something. Do they but book you get out? these tickets? So it's interesting because it's first come, first serve. So you get a ticket to stay in a backcountry hut, but there's no guarantee that there'll be a bed for you uh when you get back there. So oh, I figured they didn't give out tickets for the same night. Like you got you got tickets for 
you know, so you this basically weekend. you get a ticket um you get a ticket and let's say it's worth because some huts have uh like wood burning stoves in there or they're they're okay. more maintained than other ones so then they'll be like fifteen dollars to stay in versus five dollars so you know we bought two fifteen dollar tickets because we thought we want to be at this hut which is more maintained and has a, fi- a fire, but if it's all booked or if it's all full, we can go over to this hut maybe like a mile away and it's only $5 a night, but we at least have the ticket to stay in the more expensive one. Mm-hmm. So they give out the ticket, you buy the ticket and they're good um, forever. So she said, you know, even if you buy backcountry hut tickets and you don't use them, you can come back if you come back to New Zealand, let's say in five years and use it. That but is it's not crazy. For spe- yeah, but it's not for a specific hut. It's just... It's just for to stay in in one hut, like it's like good for a night in a hut, right? Like, exactly, generically, okay. And that's kind of the honor system, you know. I'm sure some people don't abide by it, um, but you get back there, and we the hut we uh, stayed in was really nice. It slept; it was meant to sleep 28 people at its max. And I know, like in the height of the season, sometimes there'll be. 30 plus people back there. And I remember reading a blog about this lady that went to the hut that we, that we went to, cause I wanted to know a little bit more about it. And she said when she was there, you know, people were sleeping in the front porch on the floor, like, and it was crazy because when we got there, I thought, how would 28 people be in here cooking their dinners, um, sleeping in here, snoring, like it was outrageous. So we got there and we actually were the only people in the, uh, hut that oh, night. that's nice. So yeah, I assume awesome. these people aren't, they're mostly not fishermen. They're mostly just like hiking. I assume like yeah. backpacking. Okay. Yep, exactly. Cause, um, when we got out from that river and we saw the couple that asked how many people we were back there fishing, we said nobody else but us. And they were like, okay, good. Like, I don't care how many people are staying in the hut. I just don't want anyone else to be fishing. Back okay. There. <laughs> so the, the backcountry hut was really, really cool. Um, it was Halloween night actually. So it was a little, it was a little eerie being back there by ourselves and there was possums. So they have a big possum problem in New Zealand. Um, and they're destroying the forest and kind of like, I think killing off a bunch of the native birds, but there was a something crawling around on our roof once it got dark out. That's and I was like, yeah, but I think it's just a possum. And then we were outside looking at the stars and we didn't have our headlamps on. And, um, one ran past me. I saw it, but kind of just like the silhouette. And I, I jumped so far back onto the porch so fast. I was like, <laughs> and we're inside again. All right. <laughs> but it was, it was cool because there's really not many, um, I don't know if you remember this from being in New Zealand, but there's nothing over there really that's going to hurt you. Yes. I do remember that. And it's crazy. Cause I was coming from Australia which like everything yes. can kill you. The deadliest country. <laughs> yeah. And then you fly over there and they're like, well, we have some birds mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was super cool because, you know, being back there in those really remote places and there's like huge snow-capped mountains around and this river valley, gorgeous, you know, forests and things like that. I told Jarrett one time, I feel like sometimes I forget that I'm in New Zealand and I'm like, oh gosh, do we have bear spray? And then I have to remember, like, we don't have to worry about that. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was so awesome. (laughs) That is really nice. I mean, granted, I don't, I don't, I know the odds are so low of actually being attacked by an animal 
in the U.S. Right. But it's still definitely on your mind, especially when you're in a small group or by yourself and you're just like, yeah, I know the odds are low, but there's still bears out here. I still need to take care of my food and you know, I don't want, yep. you know, I don't want to come out in the early morning and have something be in camp that I, I don't know is there. Right. And especially, you know, you or me, sometimes we like to go do solo trips and right. it's just kind of unnerving to be out there and just know what could be out there watching you or, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, like it's, the mountain lions, or it's just—is it on your mind? Even if you know it's a low chance, like it. Right. I, I don't. I don't feel like your your safety feature and your brain will let you forget it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that was really that was really cool, but um, that was kind of the well. And then I guess I'll talk about the fishing back there on the backcountry hut. Um, so we, you know, is like probably the clearest water that we fished the entire time we were back there. And it's, it's a, this river in particular is considered a backcountry fishery. So when you get your New Zealand license, which is, um, $180 New Zealand dollars for an annual, which are, you know, it's about 60% of that for converting over to, um, us dollars, but they um, have a, a couple of uh, designated backcountry fisheries and you have to go on their website and endorse your license with a backcountry fishery, you know, endorsement essentially. And it doesn't cost any extra, but you just have to say like which rivers you're planning to go to um, and add it onto your license. And I think it's just for them to track things and, and whatnot, but you can get fined for not having it, which is interesting because it's not, it's free. Huh. But, um, so that was, so that was a backcountry fishery that we had to do that with our licenses. And then, um, that was one of the rivers. It was like the perfect size of river because, you know, we like to have, I'm trying to, con- I'm trying to think of a river that you and I both know, like Rock Creek, that, that size of river in Montana that we isn't, yeah, that isn't too big. It's not too small. It's kind of that perfect size where you can easily wade across it if you need to, but you still have like quite a bit of water to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of, it was like that, but it was clearest water. Um, And we, I had just rolled my ankle. That was the the only, (laughs) that was the only injury of the trip on the way into the backcountry hut. Nonetheless, I rolled my ankle really bad um, and it swelled up. I, I ended up being able to walk on it to the hut because we were closer to the hut than back to the van. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make it to the hut tonight, put my ankle up, maybe ice it a little bit. Um, and then I hobbled around on it the next day because uh, I was like, I'm not giving up, you know, hiking in six and a half miles to go to not fish this river. Right. So I'm like, if I can, if, if Katie can use her <laughs> cam boot with a, after a foot surgery as a wading boot, I can walk around with a rolled ankle. <laughs> was cardboard, was cardboard me just looking down at you being like, pick yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cause cardboard Katie was in my backpack on that. Trip. Should we, we should do a little quick segment about cardboard Katie. Just several. Yeah. Away. Okay. So I'll finish this and then we'll, let's talk about the fact that you got to come to New Zealand. All right. Sweet. Uh, so basically that river, um, uh, was, 
one of the ones like as as Jay Scott was talking about, where you have to walk a lot in order to right. see in order to you know see the fish and and attempt to catch them without spooking them away. And I mean, we would, we, so we, we plan to nymph that river for the most part, unless we saw fish rising. Um, and we had tried a few streamers here and there, but Jarrett and I just don't, that's not our, that's not our go-to method. And we're not super confident in it quite yet. Not the place to like test a technique. Yeah, exactly. So we're like, you know what? We did bring my, um, my streamer rod that's set up with the sinking line, but we, we tried it here and there, but it wasn't our main technique. And we didn't even bring that, we didn't even bring that rod back into this river. So we were going to nymph it and we, you know, didn't have the New Zealand indicators cause they were lost in the van somewhere. So we just had our usual technique or our usual rig set up and we would get to, we walked a long ways, um, before we actually even saw our first fish. And then we would get there. And by this time on the trip, Jared and I knew like we don't speak when we see a fish. We, you know, pretty much put everything down way away from the river and like army crawl up to the river. Like it was the the way that you had to get to these fish was pretty <laughs> it was a sight. It was a sight for sure. Uh but we would, you know, think, okay, now how, how are we going to cast to this fish? This is the next question. Is there wind? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is going to be a little bit difficult. And then, so we probably on that trip saw, we, we probably only actually saw five really, I mean, they're all beautiful, huge brown trout, but we probably only saw five and we fished this river for maybe from maybe 8 a.m. till 1 p.m. before before deciding, you know, we're, we do want to hike out tonight. So I think because it's not going so well, um, we should we should make sure to get out and, and get out with enough daylight. But that river was the mo- one of the most gorgeous, but also one of mo- the most frustrating rivers we fished um, in the fact that we just, we would even run our flies by these fish multiple times. If we didn't spook them, we're like, okay, victory. We didn't spook this fish away. Now we have to figure out what it's eating and we would change up flies and everything. And I just think that, um, that part of the river that we fished is much more pressured than, than, uh, walking way up. And the reason I, I say that is because we talked to that couple once we got out and it sounds like they, they, they moved over to New Zealand from Canada, I think about a year ago. And, uh, they, said we have just started to learn the techniques of of New Zealand fly fishing especially sight fishing and it is a huge learning process and you know we've been doing this for months and months and months now when we were here our first month just like you guys are we weren't doing it right either but they looked at our setup cuz we actually carried our rod set up in and out of the mm-hmm. uh, on the trail so they they could see what we were using and they're like okay the bubble the bubble indicator is a no-go. Like you have to have the, the, um, New Zealand wool indicator back here. And then he looked at my nymphs that I was using and he said, Oh my gosh, you've got a bead head on there. You can't use bead heads. You have to, they have to be beadless because that bead hitting the water will spook that fish away. And I was like, and you had already caught fish on this rig at this point or yes. In other rivers. Yes. A lot. Um, uh, but 
this river in particular was just apparently really well known for having to do this certain technique with the New Zealand indicator, the beadless uh, uh, flies. And then, so yeah. And then he said, oh, where did you fish? And we said from the hut we fished, we went maybe a couple miles towards the swing bridge. Um, and he said, oh, you we, you got to go way past that. And I go, well, we would have liked to, but I rolled my ankle. So I was hobbling as it was. Um, but I think the next day they were planning to go much further than, uh, upriver than we, than we ended up fishing. And he said, that's where you'll have the luck. But you he, know what? I feel like when people say stuff like that, like you could only catch something on this or only that it's like, they're almost always wrong. True. And we had another incident where, um, uh, we got called out for our indicators saying on this particular river, you'll never, you'll never catch a fish and anything like this. And Jarrett had already hooked into a huge fish. We didn't tell him that we were just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I feel like everyone wants to, I, well, this is like a giant generalization of course, but I feel like a lot of times if you have a river that is generally harder to fish than other rivers, Mm-hmm. Like people look for an excuse for why that's the case. Like it's not just that the fish are smart and occasionally uh, it takes a little more effort to catch them. They right. want to like make an excuse. Like you have to, you, you have to do this. And in that way, you know, if it's fishing poorly, they're like, well, we just, we, we, didn't, we didn't do it right that day. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you didn't, but like other days it could be, it could be totally different. Like I fished a river yeah, not too yeah. long ago that was labeled as being extremely technical and I hooked a fish on a, like a midge off a thingamabobber. And I'm like, this is not that difficult. Yeah. This is how I do. This is right. how I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's, it was interesting going to a different country too and fishing and, and, you know, hearing locals talk about how they fish and, and I, and we would ask people certain fly fish fly fishing shops. We'd go ask the locals, you know, do people throw streamers at these fish in this particular river? And they would kind of like turn up their nose and be like, "Yeah, they do," but you know, that's pretty much cheating. And I'm like, "What? Like we're gonna do it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yeah, and on that that river, that backcountry river, I I even threw a dry dropper rig. And I didn't have any luck. And that's like the, that's like the softest little, you know, thing that you can throw on the water and still have a fish, uh, a subsurface fly. Right. I mean, so I think we gave it a solid effort. It just wasn't, it wasn't our day back there to, to catch fish, but it was an amazing experience. And it was really, it was, uh, it was really educational for us um, and humbling because we had had a couple of really good days on the North Island prior to that. And then we came back there and, and that was, that was on the South Island um, when we got back. So the why South are the Island? fish so smart? Like, is it just because the water is so clear? Cause it doesn't sound like they're that heavily pressured. Yeah. Because you know, what's interesting. My friend Shane um, was saying that pressure is such a relative term over there. Well, ev- anywhere, but because he said they consider a pressured river to be or I guess a pressured section of a river to be a, a section that's fished more than twice a week. I think that's what the guides oh, must have geez. told them over there. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. If that was the case in Idaho or Montana, like 
they would be very, very overpressured <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, every every um, single place would be overpressured. Yeah, um, I think I think it's the clear water, and I, the reason I say that is because we ended up getting lucky with the watercolor in certain rivers, and and I'll say this because we went to a river, um, our very first river, and it was kind of that milky blue color, mm-hmm. really pretty, really actually a pretty watercolor, um, but a little milky. And I, I think it was like my, the first run and one of my first casts where we had a little bit of longer leaders and I was kind of trying to figure, figure it out. And I was not even looking at my, um, indicator and I kid you not, that was the hardest take I've ever had on a fly with a nymph rig. I, that thing went under and it took off so fast and I saw the fish roll and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the biggest fish of my life. And that fish got off because I didn't get a good hook set on it. Cause I wasn't even, I wasn't even right. You didn't try. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, we went down, we went to a different uh, run and it, you probably saw the picture, but the pictures of days one and two of our first Browns that we caught that was yeah, that fish. Yep. That was that fish that I caught the second, the second one, and we were fishing it. We were nymphing how we usually would, blind fishing, quote unquote, because we couldn't see into the water as much. Um, so that you know that was a very successful day, and then we went back to that same river. It was the the first river we fished and the last river we fished. Okay, and within that time span of a month it cleared up significantly and we had to, we had to sight fish and it was a little, it was more frustrating. Um, but also I did have a really, a really good day, the second to last day, but it was very much more, um, sneaking up sight fishing. I think I, so I just think that's why, uh, it has that reputation for you're going to have a good day if you go out and catch one fish or mm-hmm. two fish. And I don't know, maybe, maybe also, um, the fish populations aren't as, you know, aren't as, uh, there's not as much numbers, I guess, as in mm-hmm. the States. Bigger, so, but maybe less numbers. Would you basically be fishing as a pair where you like walk up somewhere and then someone fishes or were you guys fishing at the same time? It's not, it kind of sounds like you walk up, you're like there's one fish who's going to take it versus, yep. Hey, let's just like fish together for an hour. Right. And, um, it always depended on, it always depended on the river and it always depended on the water clarity. So I would, so like, let's say we were at that backcountry fishery. It was like, who's, who's going to cast first at this fish. And then Jarrett would <laughs> sometimes, you know, if I was having a better day than him, uh, or I had a really good day the day before, and then we would go back to, let's say, the same spot. I'm not talking about the backcountry river anymore. I'm just talking in general. Mm-hmm. I would want him to cast into this spot first. So we kind of alternated um, for the most part. But, but if it was, if it was uh, you know, a little more murky water, we would both fish. And we would just – or I would fish the run after him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you're sight fishing, it's, it's very much, uh, helpful to have somebody, uh, spotting and somebody fishing it. Okay. 
So you're both so, still participating at least, which makes it fun. Yeah, exactly. And I, I get just as much joy seeing Jarrett catch a fish um, as I do myself. And that's why, you know, that day, the second to last day, I caught five, I think five fish and they were all really nice browns. Um, and he didn't have any luck. Two of them were by like uh, two of the biggest browns in my life. And then the others were, you know, still really nice. I had one, I think one was maybe like a 12 inch where I was like, mm, what's this doing in New Zealand? <laughs> but uh, you're going to leave a bad review for the country. Just <laughs> can't believe I caught that fish that day. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah. And so, you know, he, he got frustrated because it wasn't like we were both not catching fish. It was that he wasn't, and I was. And so, um, I said, you know what, let's do this tomorrow. We're going to stay out here tonight. And tomorrow we're going to hit all those spots and you're going to fish them. I'm, I am just as content sitting up there drinking my coffee, watching you. I can tell you if I see anything. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really good teamwork and I didn't ever feel like one of us was feeling left or like, you know, not having uh-huh. a good time essentially. So what do you have an estimate of like how many fish you caught a day on average or how a many day? you caught overall? Um, Ooh, gosh. Cause you know what? We had that first day where we first and second day where we each caught our, basically one of our biggest Browns of our lives. Um, and then we went, we, cause we were so amped up. We're like, oh my gosh, days one and two, we catch these, these huge Browns. Like, is this what, is this what New Zealand has in store for us? And it wasn't even like, we didn't work that hard quote unquote for those ones. Cause we were fishing how we would fish right. back home. And, uh, so we're like, Whoa, we were so amped up on, on the fishing there, uh, at that point. And so we kept, you know, picking out rivers on that list that my friend gave me and finding them on the map and, and going to them. Uh, but we had maybe four days of fishing, three to four days of fishing after that first and second day where we didn't catch anything. We would see fish in some spots and try every technique at them and we wouldn't catch any. And so, you know, I can't say, you know, one day we would catch none. And then another day we, one river in particular over the span of two and a half days, we, we netted 30 fish and they were all very sizable and beautiful. Oh, wow. Uh, Browns and rainbows combined. So I can't give you a daily, you know, like this is about what you can expect because it so depends on the river and it really depends on the technique that you're using. Um, But I will say over the span of the whole trip, uh, and we, we fished over half of the trip, but we did do some mountain biking over there. Uh, maybe let's see if we did 30, maybe like 50, maybe a little, I don't know. That might be a very rough estimate. Okay. But, um, yeah. And I think you're, when you go to New Zealand, you have, you have to have the expectation, uh, not of quantity, but of quality. Right. So I think that's one thing that helps if you have that mentality, but Going back really quick to, uh, to, you know, would Jarrett and I switch off fishing these spots? Um, another 
another thing that factored into who would fish it is he's a left-handed caster and I'm a right-handed caster. River right or river left? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it would be where's – which side of the river are we on and where's the wind blowing and who is this going to be easier for? Uh We had one spot in particular where it was the last day and that was that day that I had had a great day the the day before and I really wanted him to catch one final fish. Really – really wanted him to. So I was begging him to go, to go fish this spot. And he goes, I cannot physically really fish this spot. It's a right-handed spot because I will literally just be in the, in the, in the bushes. Um, and I'm like, just roll cast, just roll cast. I need you to fish this first. And he tried, but it was like one of the windiest days there. And, um, even when I tried it, cause we saw beautiful fish. We saw like three giant Browns in this pool and I'm like, you have to go fish that. Um, and I remember that day very, very vividly because he crossed the river. Um, I said, well, why don't you go over to the other side of the river, cross it way down where it's shallow and come back up. Um, because it's, there's not any brush over there really. Mm-hmm. It was rocky on the other side. So he did and he hooked into a fish um, and it jumped. So these Browns down there, they, you know how some, most of the time it's rainbows that are coming up and like jumping and putting on a show. Then the Browns like to hunker down these Browns. They did what the rainbows do. It was crazy. It was mostly Browns. Uh, the South Island is mostly Browns and the South Island, as you probably remember is also very, well known for its scenery. So I think yeah. that's the biggest, the big destination for these, for fly fishermen is the South Island. Cause you're not only getting these massive trophy Browns, but you've got this gorgeous scenery around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that the North Island and the places that we went was just as beautiful. Um, and the rainbows were super fun to catch. So, and the, and the North Island's more known for their rainbows. So okay. I guess that's kind of how they divide it. But, uh, yeah, so Jarrett hooked into this, this brown and it was it would have been I think it would have been the biggest brown of his trip and it was it got off so it jumped and then it got off and I remember I was so distraught because I wanted him to catch that last fish so badly that I he there was profanity there was bad words being used on his end there was um tears being shed on my end <laughs> you were it was crying because he didn't it, catch a fish katie it was a very emotional day <laughs> you know just as well as i do how fly fishing can like overtake our emotions in a very irrational way very yeah. irrational <laughs> can attest to that <laughs> yeah and so um and I think just like everything it was like I don't want to go back to the real world I don't want to go back home like it's like all the emotions just coming out in that fish <laughs> yep exactly and we that was like the biggest heartbreak fish of the trip and we you know he said that that fish is gonna leave a scar in my heart for for life <laughs> <laughs> um it's really hard to control your emotions over fishing, especially when, you know, these are some, these are different from the fish that you usually catch, you know? Right. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to a listen to your inner positivity and be like, Hey, you're in New Zealand and look where you get to be. And just because you didn't catch that fish, 
you know, doesn't mean your life is over, but <laughs> it's, hard it to to- <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to listen to that. Right. And I think here's the, you know, I was thinking about this too. I'm like, why am I so distraught when these fish get off? What is it about, you know, not being able to finish what you started with this catch or hooking into this fish that gets you so riled up because, you know, inevitably you're putting, we, we catch, we caught and released all of our fish. We didn't keep any of them. So you're catching and releasing. Why do I feel so emotionally? (laughs) Right. It's like you need to eat. Tormented. Yeah. (laughs) By this fish. And I was thinking about it because especially that day, I'm like, why am I so, why is this, you know, getting to me so much? I think one of the reasons, and tell me if, if you feel the same, one of the reasons is obviously is it's obvious you feel defeated, right? You feel like I didn't finish what I started. And there's a certain, um, I think there's a certain competitive nature kind of in all, most of us to where it's like, this is a sport for us, right? So we didn't, we didn't win. (laughs) Right. Um, so I think that's kind of an obvious one. The second one is the unknown. And I think you and I have talked about this before. It's like, whether this fish was the biggest fish of your life or whether it wasn't, I wanted to see that fish. I wanted to admire it. I wanted to hold it in my hands. Like I just, I wanted to know what it was. I mean, we, we knew that one was a brown, but I wanted to, cause every fish is so different. And their, their patterns are so different. And I think that for me, it's like the unknown uh, and not being able to see that fish and finalizing it is really hard. And then I think another thing too is, um, you know, if the fish snaps off any of your flies, I feel really bad about that. And not because I lost flies, but because that fish is swimming around with flies in its mouth. I've thought about that before too. I've seen a fish swimming around with like, it was trailing fly line. That it had like the fly line had snapped clearly. It had a weak point or something. And right. It's like, yeah, this fish is like it's not doesn't look like it's gonna die, but that can't be helping it, you know, to have just stuff hanging out of its mouth. Right. Exactly. And we actually, oh my gosh, this was crazy. Um, one of my fish snapped a fly or two off, um, the day prior, and then Jarrett caught a fish the next day and it had my fly in its mouth. Oh, nice. I was like, what? I got it back. I got it back. And it ate, what was weird is it ate the exact same fly pattern because Jarrett had the same one on his Oh, interesting. And I was like, wait, this isn't your fly. Your fly's right there. I'm like, that's mine from yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I've had that happen like maybe once or twice where I caught a fish that I knew that my flies were in its mouth. And mm-hmm. it was, re- it's really satisfying to it be is. like, I'm, I'm cleaning up my mess. <laughs> you know? Cleaning up my mess. I get my, you know, whatever you paid for that fly back to right. three bucks and the fish is, I'm helping it out. <laughs> also, Charity. I feel like there's a little part of me that's also like, oh good. You were still eating. Like you, like right. you were still You're doing okay. okay. And it's like, yeah, I'm taking my flies out of its mouth right then. So I know I'm still, you know, fixing the problem. But yeah. you also know that that fish wasn't like traumatized to the point of not feeding. And there's just a little bit of comfort. So when you don't, when you catch or uh, lose your flies on a fish that you don't get back, you can kind of remember like, oh, I've caught fish that had flies in them and they were still okay. So like, you know, hopefully yep. this one turns out like that too. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. But I don't know. I mean, what are some things you think through when you're like, 
why am I so, why, why did I feel so sad that this fish got off? Were those pretty accurate? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I feel like for me, it's not usually with one specific fish. Like I'm so sad that that specific one got away, but Mm -hmm. I get really bothered with like patterns of things. Right. If I've missed a bunch of fish in a row. Yeah. We were in California over the summer and I was trying to catch a, uh, it was like the first day out I was throwing dries because they they rose for like 20 minutes. And during that time I was just getting so antsy that I just kept missing strike after strike. And it was just like defeating me. Um, Yeah. So I feel like I do, I get it, but I get it more over like time, but then it just like wears on me for hours and hours until yeah. at the end. I'm like really, really distraught, even though I shouldn't be. See, it's the emotions oh, getting the best of you. <laughs> I, I've never cried over someone else losing a fish. Though. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was a first for sure. That was a first. You never cried a, over my fish that I lose. I know. I I'm sorry. Time. I know. I'm sorry. I will work on it. <laughs> work on my acting skills. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that was a very memorable day. And I remember, I think I was super frustrated too, because um, I was fishing that spot that I told Jarrett to fish, but he went to the other side of the river and we knew there was big fish in there. And I couldn't cast worth a darn. There was the worst that I think that was one of the windiest days that we had encountered. And I remember just everything building up and being so frustrating. And I just threw my rod down. I was, I'm, I'm lucky it didn't break, but I was pretty rough on some of my uh, equipment over there (laughs) when, (laughs) when things got bad, when things got frustrating. But, uh, it was funny too, because we, we started, uh, taking some videos we want to make, we want to put together just a little video like you do, um, for our trips. Uh, and so we would take some video clips here and there of fish or just waiting or scenery, things like that. And, uh, I said, Jarrett, this is what we're going to put in this video <laughs> is not portraying like 90% of the time how we're feeling over here. Why don't we start making, and I feel like you would appreciate this part of the video, but why don't we start making like behind the scenes, like this is what it actually is like. And then it cuts to you just like majority of the time. It just cuts to you sobbing on the Crying. shore. Yeah. <laughs> but emotions were too raw at some points <laughs> to actually take a video. <laughs> but between, between every fish, it's just you sobbing, like the same scene of you sobbing and then another fish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I Let's not say sobbing. I said maybe a couple Weeping. of tears of, of, <laughs> Anguish and frustration. <laughs> I would call that sobbing. That's, <laughs> that's what I would refer to as sobbing. <laughs> well, anyways, I bet you just can't wait to see that part of the video. <laughs> I can't. I'm just, I just can't wait till the next time we go fishing. <laughs> I know. I know. It'll hopefully be in, I don't know where it'll be, Montana. It's Montana hopefully. again. So, do you, okay, but, I have a question that I should have probably gotten to at the beginning, but kay. do you have an estimate of like how much you spent if you don't mind sharing like or or what someone can expect to spend where let's say maybe you know what you spent but you know most people aren't going to want to sleep in a van for a month like can you give an estimate of what someone can expect to spend yeah and that's that's actually a good question it brings me back to something I wanted to tell you about about sleeping in the van um is that even though we paid for every night of our van 
you know, because a lump sum we paid, I think it was 2000 uh, a little under 2000 I think, U.S. dollars for the van. But it's because we got the best insurance on it, too. We knew we were going to go into rural areas, and we just didn't want to have the worry of having the mm-hmm. You the don't want lowest. your vacation to be ruined by having to fix a vehicle right. and pay right. out of pocket. And pay. Yeah, exactly. So we had the no worries mate insurance. Um, <laughs> which Sounds reliable. Our, <laughs> <laughs> which, sound, which brought our uh, cost up quite a bit. But uh, that's still then, not bad for a whole month. Right. Um, the biggest expense was gas, gas, uh, traveling in New Zealand is actually a lot more expensive than we anticipated, um, based on food and based on gas. And I think too, because we were, we were driving that van. So it's a gas hog in and of itself. Um, but Jarrett, <laughs> Jarrett is in charge of finances for the most part. So, I can't tell you an exact number that we got because we got a a travel credit card and I can't tell you an exact number of of what we spent, but I want to say we were, we were pretty frugal, but at the same time, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to miss out on like a yummy dinner one night when it was raining and, and just miserable outside just because we wanted to stick under a certain number, right? Right. That's one thing if you're in the States and you're like, I just want to save as much money as possible. But if you're going the whole way over there, you want to at least experience a little bit of like what the country, like the people have to offer as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, And we definitely, we definitely had some good beer and some good uh, flights of microbrew tasting and things like that. And we didn't skimp on, we didn't skimp on that. We, one, one of the holiday parks we went to, um, which they call, they call a lot of their campgrounds holiday parks okay. if they have a lot of amenities like uh, like a communal kitchen, bathrooms with showers. Um, well, anyway, this one we went to had a heated swimming pool with a swim-up bar and like a movie theater project- projector screen out there. So it was like, oh, we're definitely going to splurge at this swim-up bar. Like this right. is one of the nights we're just going to splurge. But uh, it was... I want to say maybe it was about five grand that we decided we should put aside besides the, that was, um, not our flights though. Okay. Okay. So that's still not that bad for a month for two people to go do like a, like a bucket list trip, you know? Right. And I, I could be wrong and I could be thinking of that in New Zealand dollars. Um, but I'll, I'll have to verify with Jarrett how much we actually spent. <laughs> He's like, it was $23,000. <laughs> like, you we did are for about, way off. Uh, about five grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But, uh, our flights were expensive, but you know, it, I thought it was just so worth it. I think we got them for 1300 a piece. That was us dollars. Um, and we flew out of, uh, uh, San Francisco or else we would have spent a lot more flying out of Spokane. So we drove down to San Francisco to fly okay. out. Um, and we saved quite a bit on that just cause it's direct over to New Zealand from there. Uh, air New Zealand is the flight we, the, um, airline we took. And I think that's pretty common. I mean, I think that's one of the only really to take from the States. Um, okay. and they were, it was good, but yeah, it was, uh, I guess, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a mixture of let's save on 
this night um, in order to splurge a little bit on the next. So what we would do is, um, and this is really good for people to know if they want to travel over there, especially to do uh, van life, is there's two apps that we used um, to find camping spots. So they say that there's a lot of freedom camping in uh, New Zealand, but it's actually it's actually getting shut down to where you can't, you can't just park your van anywhere and, and sleep in it anymore. Um, I just think people ruined it over time. Just like too many people doing it or too many people being disrespectful of the, uh, environment. Okay. I think so anyway, um, there's two apps. One is called camper mate. Um, and that one lists a few more campgrounds than, uh, rankers, but those are the two apps we used. And they're really, really cool because once again, you can download the region. So you have offline maps of mm-hmm. the, of the country and you can click, okay, I want to see all campgrounds or I want to see just free campgrounds. So there are places to freedom camp, but you have to go to where it's designated. Now you can't just pull over anywhere. Okay. Um, and so that's what these apps are good for. And you'll find that most people that are traveling over there are using these apps and they, it's cool. Cause they have reviews of how people liked the place. Was it quiet? Was it loud? You know, near the highway, this and that, does it have showers? Does it have bathrooms? It'll say it's amenities. Um, so we would, we would freedom camp maybe two or three nights in a row. And then we would go somewhere that had a shower, a kitchen, and then we could, uh, cook our own meal in the kitchen, but still sleep in the van. Those places were roughly about 30 New Zealand dollars a night. Uh, so which, t- so that would be what? 60% of 30, whatever that is. Anyway, um, you, so not bad for having all those amenities. Um, but we were still paying, I would look at it as we're paying for a night there and we're paying for a night of staying in our van. So, right you know, it did get a little spendy here and there, but we had, I mean, we had to shower. Otherwise we were just going to river, river bathe, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which we never had to do. Um, but yeah, so that was, that app is really cool. Or both of those apps are are great because you can not only find uh, these holiday parks or free camping spots, but you can also type in like nearest um, gas station or oh, where nice. can I find? Yeah. Or like, where can I find quality Wi-Fi? And it'll show you the towns that have like a library to go to and you can use Wi-Fi. That's where I actually, uh, printed out cardboard Katie. So oh, if yeah. you want to get into that yeah. a little bit, we need to get into cardboard Katie selfishly. Cause I want to, <laughs> I want to make sure everyone knows what I got to do but, over there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Everybody should know that Katie got to go over to New Zealand. So yeah. And this was um, actually your second trip to New Zealand because I took cardboard Mel when right. I went, but cardboard right. Mel didn't catch any fish. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I had to go a second time, right. obviously. So, uh, you, why don't you go ahead and, and start that? Oh, like what tell people, what the situation yeah. is? Yeah. Tell um, people the situation. <laughs> I don't, I think you, you did it first. Uh, I don't, Did I start the cardboard, the bring Not with me, to- but I think you just, I saw you take cardboard people places and, yeah. and you had expressed an interest. So when I went, I had printed out a cardboard cut out of your face that since I was there by myself, you know, I could take pictures with, <laughs> so we could both be there. Uh, you didn't feel quite so lonely when you had right, cardboard Mel. <laughs> right. So she was always, I don't know where she went. I mean, I, I can't imagine I just like toss her, but she's not around. So I need to make a new one. <laughs> Oh no. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, well, okay. You so, take it over. 
we uh i don't even really know it must, it must have started with the flat stanley trend you remember that when like certain schools would have to bring go on a trip and you bring your little flat stanley around and take pictures of him in certain I, places no i don't remember that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where that started but Anyways, we thought, well, wouldn't this be funny? I don't know. My family does some quirky things sometimes. And we're like, let's bring so-and-so on this trip with us and not tell them and then show them that they got to go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely better when you don't know that you went somewhere. Yeah. And, and cardboard Katie didn't know, right? She no, requested that. I think she I requested, would- but I did. I didn't think to follow up. <laughs> I know. Cause the whole time I was like, she is going to love this. <laughs> uh, but it kind of evolved because, you know, over time, uh, you know, cause you just have like a little, let's say four by six picture of somebody initially and just take pictures of them in this cool place. But then we're like, let's cut out a life size, life size picture of their face and, uh, place it here and there, or like take pictures with them. And then it evolved to let's wear their face and pretend that's what that shocked me because the person right you were on a <laughs> stick when I took you, <laughs> but I was not a yeah. stick. I was like yeah. under the hat. I was I was wearing clothes. You were, you were, you were in it. You were fishing. You were hiking. I caught some were, big fish. You did, yeah. I was so, also on the on Jarrett's body and did not realize. And it. you didn't I definitely realize thought it. I was on your body. I was like, can you not see the veins in his hands? My hands are not that I veiny. was not looking that closely. <laughs> I was looking at my expression because it was from the wedding. It was from your wedding. <laughs> yeah, you were pretty uh you were pretty done up in that picture. I know I normally don't really... wear makeup when I fish, but that just had to change. <laughs> well you <laughs> looked really done. beautiful and you yeah. really looked um stoked. The whole time you were there, you were really stoked. Actually, you um had two different faces. And, uh, so I printed you out at one of these New Zealand libraries that I found on my handy dandy campermate app. And the first one that I printed out was you, you know, with your fly fishing hat on and your sunglasses and your little ponytail. And I thought, okay, I think this is New Zealand worthy. And then it printed out and it was the worst quality of print I've ever seen. And I'm like, geez, I better, I better just print out a backup. So I printed that one of you at the wedding and uh, it came out a lot better. And I was like, but I want to use the fly fishing one first. So also, I cut that. Yeah, go oh, ahead. I, have you noticed that ponytails are really hard to make work as cardboard cutouts? Yes, They're just they like are. these awkward appendages that just mm-hmm. stick out. I and didn't, they don't look like hair. They just look like a, mm-mm. you know, they look like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, <laughs> I uh, did not know where to cut that. You're right. Like I was like, where do I make this look the most natural? It, it just didn't work, but that is okay because num- cardboard Katie number one went into the river very quickly. And so we had to go to cardboard Katie number two, which you looked a lot more excited as cardboard Katie number two anyway. So it was right. all good. <laughs> I was just done up. You know, I just want to look good when I'm out. Yeah. You look good. You feel good. Right. Right. Look good, fish good. That's right. (laughs) Well, do you want to, so I think it's probably time to wrap up fairly soon, but do you want to, do you have like a couple either last, uh, like quick stories or tips if someone is getting ready to do a DIY trip where it's like, if, if they're overwhelmed and don't know where to start, because I remember when I went there, granted I was in the off season. So it was just like, people weren't talking about it and I was struggling Mm -hmm. to find places that were even open. Yeah. But assuming someone's going to be there at the right time of year, 
Do you right. have any just like one-off tips that would be extremely helpful? Yeah, I think I think our biggest takeaway for the DIY trip uh, there was do what you're comfortable with. Don't feel like you have to conform to anyone else's method or techniques unless you want to, unless you want to learn it. Um, I think it also depends on how long you're there. For us, a little over a month did not seem long enough to fully, uh, you know, try out certain techniques and feel like we got a good grasp on them because we constantly, you know, we're converting back to our old ways that we knew the best and they were successful for the most part. So I would say, you know, do a mixture, try, try different techniques, uh, talk to locals, see what is working best at that time. But always, you know, if you're feeling frustrated or just in general, even if you're not try what you're best at, um, whether it be dry fly fishing or streamer fishing or nymphing the way that we did for the majority of the time. So I think that's a big takeaway that we, that we got, uh, was you can be successful, uh, with your method, even if the other person thinks it's rubbish, (laughs) (laughs) rubbish, (laughs) rubbish, but yeah. And then I think, you know, you got to have a place to start. So what we did Honestly, if you're, if you're going over there and you want to get the most out of it, I would really, I would suggest getting a guide, um, for, you know how much a guide would cost for like a, for like a day on average. Yeah. They were about, uh, seven to $800 New Zealand dollars, which would be, we roughly estimated it was going to be about four or 500 bucks, depending. I mean, I feel like that's comparable. It's pretty comparable. For like world-class fishing. Yeah. That's. Yep. Yep, exactly. And they don't, they, there's like rarely, don't expect a drift boat over there because they don't do it. It's just not a thing. Do you it's tip? All weight. Uh, they don't expect, at least at the restaurants, they don't expect tips. Yeah, I don't know so if that would translate to guiding In the as service well. industry, yeah, in general, I don't know. Um, I, if we were to have gotten a guide, I would have probably felt like tipping a little bit just because, you know, I just, I just want, I also want, uh, foreigners in general to be welcomed over to New Zealand. I don't want them to feel like they have to be secretive with us or just be annoyed that we're there, things like that. Um, so I don't know. I think I just would have done it out of the feeling out of the goodness of my heart or whatever. Like you want to be a good, you want to be a good guest. Just <laughs> yeah, you know, like exactly. give them a good, a good reason to, to welcome more people from the States. Exactly. Yeah. Because they're, to a certain extent, I did, we did feel uh, a little bit like once we said, you know, if we walked into a fly shop and we, and we started chatting and then they said, where are you from? E- even they can hear it in our accent, but we're like, oh, we're from the States. And they're can like, they oh, peg yeah. you as Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> can you peg me as Minnesota still? Minnesota? Oh, uh, yeah, you're oofdas. They, actually, they did uh, take me to be Canadian sometimes. Yeah, I, I can like, see that. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm similar. Yeah. I'm not offended. <laughs> no, I that's not a bad thing to be compared to. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but so I, I just feel like there's a little bit of a reputation, um, starting to where, you know, I, I want us to feel like we're welcomed over there, mm-hmm. um, or anyone, anyone that's not from there. So anyway, 
But I would say, you know, going back to that, take a guide, take a guided trip and then um, pick their brains. Even if you're not, even if you feel pretty comfortable fly fishing, you kind of know what you're doing. You can a get some ideas on techniques because that's never a bad thing. You can always learn something from somebody, even if you feel like you're the best fly fisherman in the world. Um, and then, you know, they, I think they would be willing to give you some advice for the rest of your trip of where to go. Um, but if not, if you, if you didn't take a guide out, I think, Going into a fly shop, what I did is I ordered a physical atlas, like the National Geogra Geographic Atlas of New Zealand, and it was huge, but I brought it into a New Zealand fish and game shop um, on our first day there when we got our licenses, and I just, I was really respectful. I think that's the one thing when you walk into a fly shop, you're going to get, you're going to get the same respect that you give. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, we just got here and where should we go? you know, it's different that you just got to use the nice, you know, use the tone of your voice to your advantage and, and just be like, you know, we're really, we're new here. Um, we would really like to do some fly fishing while we're here. Do you have, do you have any suggestions for us? I've got this map or we're like so novice to anything over here in New Zealand, any suggestions are like very much appreciated. So, um, we did that and, this guy was super awesome and he, we got our Sharpie out and we circled some rivers and some areas to try. And one of his suggestions actually was the first river and the last river we went to that we were very successful on. So, um, I just think, yeah, you know, go into it with an open mind, um, be flexible in where you're going to go. I think that's the number one thing when, if you, if you do plan a trip to New Zealand, don't, don't plan it out to a T like I'm going to do this hike and hike in. Yeah, you can plan if you're going to do a hike, but um, don't say, okay, I'm going to book this, this lodge the next day or whatever, because you just, you really need that flexibility mm -hmm. um, to, you know, whether it be weather dependent or this took a lot longer than I thought, or this is amazing and I want to stay here longer on this river. So I think flexibility, I think, um, try new techniques, but, but also, you know, go to your comfort zone every now and then. I remember one time, uh, you know, we were, we saw fish. It was that spot that we got really frustrated in and Jarrett, uh, lost his big Brown and I shed a few tears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that same spot, I remember telling Jarrett, I was so frustrated with the sight with the sight fishing thing because we just weren't having luck with it for quite a few days in a row. And I thought I I told him I go I am no longer going for the fish that I can see. I'm going for the ones that I know are in there that I can't see. And I I kid you not I said that and I cast and I hooked into a fish a fish that I didn't see. Uh -huh. I lost that one, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, such is the theme of the trip. A lot more fish lost than yep. netted, but heartbreak fish, heartbreak fish, but, but also the, the trip of a lifetime. And it was amazing. And we would, we would do it very similarly if we went back. I think also we might go one month later. That's another suggestion I have is, uh, going in November. I feel like that would be like the perfect time to go number one, because all the rivers are then open. And number two, you're not dealing with runoff quite as much. That okay. initial spring runoff is really, 
Yeah. It just, it kind of shut down the opportunities for some rivers. One in particularly, we hiked about three miles back. We didn't find any fishable pools. It, it was gushing. It was like you could take a whitewater raft down that thing uh, and just go, go, go. You didn't even see any smooth sections or anything really fishable at all or that I would deem fishable. So um, I think a little bit later, tiny bit later in their season would be good. All right. Sweet. Well, it sounds so. like you had a like a bomb ass <laughs> trip. <laughs> so did cardboard Katie. I know. I'm so, I can't <laughs> wait to go back early. <laughs> I already missed yeah. it. I know. I know. Yeah. The trip was amazing. Um, we'll definitely have memories from that trip forever. And so pictures to go along with those memories as we grow old. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on to to talk about it. I'm sure yeah, there's, I'm sure I'll still thanks. be hearing bits and pieces trickling out over the next couple yeah. months, but I could honestly, honestly go on and on Katie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. I, I feel like I have a lot more I could say, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk again. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. And that'll do it. As always, if you liked what you heard, go ahead and go over to the wild initiative podcast You can subscribe there and get my shows every Thursday, as well as all of Sam's other shows throughout the week. You can also find my episodes on fishuntamed.com, in addition to weekly backcountry fly fishing articles. And you can find me on social media at fishuntamed on Instagram, or under my name, Katie Burgert on Go Wild. I will see you all same time, same place next week.